Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning, hello and welcome to the IRR show and I'm going to put a little bit more of the irreverent into this edition. Sikhle, Big Daddy, will be joining us shortly and we have a guest today that's a little unusual in that he's a homeboy if I can call him that. Um, Benji Shulman will be joining us later to discuss Trump's peace plan. Uh, the spark should fly because Sikhle has very strong feelings about about the plan. The show is is intended to really wake up your political juices and get, give you background to what's really happening in, in the country. And to that extent, we would like to invite you to call in and pr- give us your view, ask questions, whatever they may be. And the studio number is 010-140-3020. Or you can do, send it by telegram on 61 one zero one nine, or you can just simplify your life by sending an SMS on three four five one nine. There aren't any. I was going to say there aren't any really big news items in the sense that there's, there isn't one dominant item that's that's uh, featuring this week. But I'd like to start with what I consider the downside of diplomacy. I'm not a great fan of diplomacy. I sometimes think that if you are too subtle and too accommodating, you actually don't get the message through. And the latest comes to us courtesy of the Dutch government. Now, the Dutch government has expressed fears that the land appropriation, compens- uh, sorry, land expropriation without compensation will have problematic consequences. However, they go on to say, we support South Africa in this process, um, and the ambassador says, I've also heard suggestions of possible expropriation without compensation, and careful reflection is needed on a question of this kind. Like the SA government, we attach great value to the respect for property rights and the rule of law. When these two are endangered, it will affect existing and potential investors alike. It is important to have clarity on issues like these. Here's the problem. First of all, the serving government does not have respect for property rights and the rule of law. So the Dutch government either doesn't know anything or is being somewhat evasive, shall we say. I'm, I'm being polite about that. The other thing is that this issue has been on the boil for over two years, and, and now the Dutch government has got something to say about it. Uh, the, the government then refers to our ties on trade, culture, education, research, agriculture, etc., Now, here goes the interesting thing. South Africa exports to the Netherlands account for about 1.4 billion euros. And about 70% of South Africa's avocados go to the Netherlands from where they are then distributed across Europe. Now, I wouldn't have thought that even for the South African government, 1.4 billion euros in investment is a big deal. And I can't help wondering whether the Dutch government might have had not had a bit more traction if they'd said, you know what, if you don't do something about expropriation without compensation, we're going to get our avocados from somewhere else. I, I, I really do not feel that being 
polite and accommodating to the government on this issue uh, is the way to go. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's, as I say, it's, it's, um, Sorry, what did I want, what, what I want to say? It's diplomacy at its naffest, if I can put it that way. Then, I suppose the other real issue in South Africa this week is the mining in Darba. And what's really terrifying about the mining in Darba is, let me give you an idea, the following. The Minerals Council of South Africa has released its annual snapshot of the state of South Africa's mining industry on the sidelines of the Investing in Africa Mining in Darba in Cape Town. And it says its state of decline appears inexorable. Now, as I understand inexorable, it means we're going down and we're not coming up again. Apparently, the South Africa, South African mining industry contracted by 2.8% in 2009, uh, which is a trend that has been in place for more than a decade, according to the Minerals Council and that mining production has not improved significantly since 2009. Now, of course, that date has its own significance, because 2009 is when Jacob Zuma took over the reins of the presidency of this country. And essentially, the ANC government has, through the BEE requirements in the mining charter and all the limitations on the development of mining, have really eviscerated the industry. And I don't think that Gwedi Mantashe is the man to bring it out of the, uh, out of, about, uh, to rescue it. I, th- I think we've, we've gone far too far for that. And let me go on to another aspect of Gwedi that's, that worries me. Gwedi says that the mining houses, the mining companies can create their own independent energy requirements without the necessity of a license. Now, that's great, but it's kind of, what took you so long on the one hand? On the other hand is, what is it not possible without license, obviously subject to appropriate supervision, for the mining houses, if they produce their own power, to, to feed excess back into the grid? That would really be a nice, really be a nice change. And Gwedi also is not my favorite minister. He's very condescending of everyone but him. He approached this issue by saying, all you have, if you want to, you don't have to have licenses. You can you can put up whatever energy you like, and then just run with it. I mean, it shows a, a, a fundamental disrespect for those who do mining and who, who can make the difference in the country. And there's no there's there's a failure or refusal to recognise that he may be the minister, but he's actually not the big cheese in this industry. And I don't think his, his attitude is always very begrudging. Okay, we'll make a concession now because things are urgent. That, that, that is real departmental planning on, at its finest. So Gwedi certainly gets my, my, thumb, my thumbs down on that one. Um, then there's an interesting one. And it concerns the new CEO for, of Transnet, who is Miss Portia Derby. Now, I'm not concerned that, so much concerned that her, her ex-husband is Brian Molefe. I'm concerned about two other things. The one is that when in, in defending herself and saying she would not uh, give any measure, he, he's, she, he would have to deal with it himself. She's not going to come to his rescue. She then said that a woman, uh, only a woman would be asked this question. The problem is last week, as I remember, the health minister uh, Zuelim Kwize was asked a lot of questions about his niece who he employed. So we'll come back to the second half of this later in the program. Right now, we go to our first ad break. <laughs> 
Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and I now have my full complement of colleagues in the office who are otherwise, after dropping things, will sit down and join us. Um, I have my colleague Sikhle, who will chirp in shortly, and Benji, who is a Chai FM regular. He's interviewed me occasionally, even. So, <laughs> hey, now, so it's, now it's our turn to get to have the pleasure. Sikhle, do you want to start by having the pleasure? Yeah, it's been a crazy morning. Hello, how's it to all the listeners? Um, sorry I'm late. It's a crazy traffic morning. Johannesburg's are pretty intense at this time of um, the morning. Benji, how are you doing, homie? Good, thanks. So what, did you get load-shedded on the way here? I got stuck behind accidents, um, <laughs> and I felt like unloading my 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 um my anger, I suppose. Um, but um, the topic we're discussing today <laughs> is one which I have been relishing to unload my thoughts on. I warned you. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's one which I'm very very excited by. I mean, anybody who listens to my podcast, to my show, the Big Liberty Show, will know that the show is. is very, very pro-Zionist in its, in its, um, uh, nature, um, for very good reasons. You know, I'm a strong, ardent supporter of Israel and I've always argued that the peace process in that part of the world would require, um, one, something that's historically never happened, right? So the actual recognition that the state of Israel, the Jewish people are going nowhere. That is their homeland. Um, you know, Judea, Sumeria, which is what I call the West Bank, is literally the home of the Jews. The whole of Israel is the home of the Jews. But let me not waffle on. Um, I did bring Benji in so we can have this discussion around this particular deal. And there's two broad areas I want us to look at. How does this deal um, depart from historically what we've seen as being, you know, the, the, the peace uh, process, so to speak, or the attempt at bringing pre- peace? And the Palestinians... Really, it places the ball in their court insofar as saying, um, you've got to depart from historically what you've been, which is this angry, um, terror sympathetic, um, uh, society that allows the likes of Hamas, that allows the likes of the Palestinian Authority, which funds, um, you know, the PIJ and Hamas, it's Al, and of course the hand of the Iranians, um, to interfere in what should be, what the ordinary Palestinian, if you will, um, uh, should be deciding on the course of the country. Okay, I waffle because this is such an Exciting topic for me, and Benji sort of looking at me with a very wild smile. Let me bring him. Let me bring him into this conversation, Benji. I suppose the most um, obvious place to begin with is this plan itself. Is it the deal of the century? What does it really entail in broad strokes? Look, I, I think that you know, since Oslo uh, in '94, we, we've kind of become used to uh, peace deals with you know people shaking hands and cutting ribbons and confetti and all that kind of thing. Uh, and I think that there's uh, maybe a recognition dawning that the Middle East is just not that kind of place where you're going to be able to sign off a piece of paper and, and, and things will be nice the next day. So I, I, I don't think it's actually fair to call this a, a sort of a peace plan uh, per se, uh, if, if, if that, you know, if, if the sh- shaking of the hands is what you're looking for. But <laughs> what, what I do think it does is it, it sets out a set of sort of parameters that that it's maybe been missing from previous things like Oslo, uh, which are adjusting to the Middle East as it is, right? So particularly uh, security concerns that uh, that the Israelis have around how do you uh, deal with this, uh, deal with, um, with terrorist activities. So for example, right, uh, the, the big fear of, of the Israelis is that you have a terror-type entity in Gaza uh, uh, arriving in the West Bank, which you could shut down the whole of Tel Aviv. Uh, it's not the same as Gaza. So, so they need to have sort of, 
watertight security guarantees around that sort of thing. At the same time, I think it's important that there seems to be a recognition that you, you don't want Israeli military apparatus bumping up against the Palestinians the whole time, uh, which is causes friction and, and it gets in the way of people's ability to, to work day to day, etc. So I think that what the plan does is try to maximize the security uh, in, uh, applications with, with, without, you know, but at the same time trying to minimize impact on the Palestinians. Um, yeah, I think there might, from my perspective, there might be better ways that they could have handled that uh, than the plan. But what, in broad principles, what I think it does do is set out that those are some of the parameters that have now become important if we're going to have, if not a peace deal, at least a no conflict situation. Mm-hmm. You raise the point, and I, 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 this is what fascinates me: is the fact that the uh, I think Daniel Pipe said at um, uh, Middle East uh, Forum, he said that. This is going to be ridiculed and dismissed by many, and it's been it's been dismissed by all the Palestinian leadership and the um, and much and much, but not all of the Arab world. Um, but it it really forces us to recognise that the root of this issue is is not territorial, but it's it's ideological. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it produces a new paradigm, right? Uh, it, it says, look. Uh, you, you, you have the two-state solution, which is, is, is still sort of the governing paradigm by, by some measure, but there, there's a, an issue around a, st- a state and then there's an issue around sovereignty. Mm. And, and in effect, what, what they're offering to the Palestinians here is, is, is a sort of state minus, right? Mm. Uh, autonomy, ability to run your own affairs, uh, you know, a contiguity. Someone made mm. the point that you, you, under this plan, you could conceivably go all the way from somewhere in uh, the West Bank to Jerusalem to Mecca without a problem if you're a Palestinian. So, sort of freedom of movement issues, uh, all of that kind of stuff can mm. be guaranteed. But the but the security apparatus uh, w- w- sort of would be would be more handled by the Israelis because <laughs> of the concern around what's happened previously. And and so. It's almost like a sort of state minus, mm. so mm. to speak. But I do want us to, to, to talk to how this plan really is a departure from the past. And this is my, my view on this. And I want to throw it out to everybody. Number one, Israel has always fought defensive wars. It's never been the offensive or the aggressor or the protagonist. Anybody who suggests that Israel is, is someone who, who demonstrates a patent just misunderstanding of the Middle East period. Israel has fought, what, one, two, five, five wars, essentially, five defensive wars, where effectively the entire region, I mean, this is one lone Israel nation, uh, Israeli nation in the Jewish nation in that part of the world, surrounded by Muslim Arab countries, and it's always fought defensive wars against it. Now, why I think this plan is a departure, and that's what I wanted to throw out, is that for the first time in a very long time, you now have a situation where, number one, a peace plan recognizes the Israel of a kind that it is. Um, not one which we envision pie in the sky, uh, you know, loft, lofty plans by people who don't, aren't really invested in that part of the world uh, because they're driven by ideology, not necessarily an, a, a want for a settlement. Um, number two, and this is really what, what I wanted to chip in on, Benji, if you look at this plan, if you if you were, if we were a if we were sitting in the studio in 1967, we would never believe that countries like Egypt, the Saudis, Qatar, Bahrain, UAE countries, which just a few years ago, if, if it was 1967, had literally ganged up and gone to war against Israel as part of an, an Arab bloc, now saying, hey, you know what? 
We don't want to annihilate this country. We don't want to see it wiped from the sea. We recognize its existence. And not only that, this particular peace deal that is now on the table in 2020 will actually endorse. I mean, from wanting to literally, I mean, think about it, sorry. It's, it's someone who wants to kill you yesterday, now suddenly saying, you know what, I'll actually sit down and have coffee with this guy. Is this not the momentous shift that really, all kudos to Donald Trump, um, has ushered in? Look, I think uh, there's a few points. The first is that there was a paradigm, if you spoke to a certain kind of American analyst, say 20 years ago or 10 years ago, that when they spoke about the Middle East conflict, that what they were talking about was the Israelis and the Mm -hmm. Palestinians. And uh, I think... Um, maybe thanks to Donald, in fact, some, in some ways thanks to Obama, uh, in some ways thanks to ISIS, uh, there's, <laughs> the, the, wow. uh, there, there's been a, there, there's been a shift where, where people understand that actually there's more going on in that part of the world than just the Jews, uh, and the Palestinians and, and that there's a, a bunch of things. Uh, and that even if we had uh, a kumbaya circle from Tel Aviv and Ramallah, that that's not going to that's not going to be solved. And so, uh, I think that that the regional players are now starting to say, "Hey, guys, you know, this thing is actually now getting in the way of our ability to do trade, our ability to uh, get uh, share intelligence, our ability to travel, and most crucially, our ability to deal with the Iranians." Mm. Uh, and and unless we can figure out a way to sort it out and get it off the table politically. Uh, it makes our ability to counteract those forces much more difficult. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that, that does uh, – I, I don't think it's 100 percent, but very clearly uh, the, the, that, re- that reality is being recognized. But that's the point I, I, was, I was hoping would sort of, um, sort of funnel to because I, I think it shows a maturity in the nation states around Israel to go, you know what, actually this whole ideologically driven, religious driven, if you will, imperative to try and destroy um, the Israeli nation – which clearly will endure and has always been there and will always be there is clearly foolhardy when there are other foreign policy objectives which are much more crucial, much more pressing as you're mentioning and and Iran, you're right, is at the center of that and I want to throw this out to you and see what you have to say you now have a situation where all these countries, these these Arab nations which are doing really well the UAEs of the world, the Saudi Arabia's you know uh, levels of prosperity that have never been seen in that part of the world. I should in yes by oil, but ever increasingly these countries are diversifying, becoming modern. And I made the point on my podcast that to, to a degree, but with a pinch of salt, to a degree, they're becoming a little bit more progressive also, you know, sort of letting go of that re- religious fundamentalism to, to a degree. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these are becoming liberal states, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to rock up there in my kippah and everything's going to be uh, all hunky-dory. No, I'm not saying that. But you definitely are seeing a shift in that part of the world ideologically, maybe even uh, intellectually, so to speak. And they recognize that it's much better to build friends in that part of the world with people who you're told to be enemies with, i.e. your Israels, i.e. your Americas, and recognize the real uh, destabilizing force in the area and actually ask the question, this is what I want to put to you, when you look at the Palestinian cause from the, the eyes then of these Arab nations, you're probably thinking, hang on, We've been progressing, we've been doing well, we've been sort of moving on, so to speak. Why are these people still like this? Do they really want a peace deal? Is it maybe partly the case? Look, I think the idea that the Arab world was, was entirely always behind the Arab, the Palestinian cause is a little bit of a myth. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you look at the, the Israeli-Egyptian peace treaty in 73, theoretically there was at one point on the table where they were going to n- negotiate the Palestinians as well. And eventually the Egyptians were like, look, it's just too much to take in one bite, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that the, you know, the Palestinians, Maybe rightly have have cause to be annoyed with the Arab world because they haven't had always their full support. But in effect, 
uh, and uh, you know this is not even sort of the kind of commentators that we have around this table. I was watching SABC the other day, and there's this. Uh, there was this very prominent Muslim uh, uh, analyst who's, who's no, no friend of Israel particularly, but he's kind of moderate. And he was saying, look, you know, the, the Palestinians need to understand that, that their cause is not, uh, and, unless you're on a campus somewhere on, in, in the mm. west of, of America, mm-hmm. they're just not top of mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and, and every time they say no. Uh, like they've done here, they get less, mm. right? Because the, the events overtake them that, that they don't have control of. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he also, I don't know if he made this point, but somebody else has said, we've never seen a, a Palestinian counter offer, yeah. right? They've never said, guys, this is what we'll accept. Mm. You know, we really want X. Uh, there, there was some sense in that, okay, we'll take the, the, the green line or whatever, but, uh, but there's never been something put on the table, and I think that that's uh, uh, what we're also seeing here mm. as well. No, th- that's my sense. The, the Trump plan is is a number of things. It's bold. It's detailed. Mm-hmm. It's unashamedly on starts from Israel's perspective. It, it, it's not pretending to be a, an independent mediator between the parties. There would be no such thing. But on the other hand, it is only America that would do it. The Europeans have never done it. The Arab states have never done it. Nobody has ever done it. And as you say, the Palestinians have never put something back. And my sense is in the current climate that's been discussed, this is saying it's here for negotiation. If you don't want it and you just want a day of rage and you just want to say nasty things, that's fine. But come with something else. And and for me, the most disappointing is that the Europeans, as 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 I've seen it, have basically said, well, this is kind of the same thing. And then have been shtum about it. Benjamin, Except quite, for the I, Brits, interestingly, but maybe as a Brexit that, yes, kind of a exactly, thing. Exactly, which is very interesting. Um, and, you know, the other thing that really interested me, when you then zoom in for a moment on the actual Palestinians themselves, mm-hmm. I made the point earlier on that this deal really places the onus on them to a large extent. And it basically says, hey, you have four years, by and large, to essentially be, find yourself on a pathway to a, a state, if you will. But there's certain preconditions which are super important. And I think... Are you like predicting the American elections here, Sikhi? Because you think Trump <laughs> is going to stick around. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> another topic for another day. But um, anyway, but no, but seriously, it, it, it places a... a, a, a it almost says to them, you know what, you have an opportunity to change things uh, substantively for yourselves. Mm. Number one, disassociate yourself with those who, who are, whose intentions are to always be in conflict, perpetual conflict, shooting rockets, uh, you know, uh, driving terrorist individuals into, uh, um, crowded market squares. Um, number two, actually organize yourselves politically. Find something that genuinely represents you and represents people on the ground. Because if you want to argue, as I've heard some of these BDS types on uh, other media platforms say, oh, no, uh, but, you know, of course the Palestinian Authority won't agree to this. Of course Hamas will. Yes, those guys are terrorist organizations, by and large. Of course they won't. But what about the voice of the ordinary Palestinian? Benji, is this not the sort of deal which may maybe embolden certain characters who've been in the fringes or maybe in, been in the, in the shadows who actually are, have a, a credible leadership um, position in their communities to say, guys, this is it. Let, let's, let's stand up, and including stand up against the Hamas types and Palestinian Authority. Look, I, I don't think that you're going to get much support for this deal on the street of, 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 of the Palestinians. Mm. Uh, you know, it's very clear that for them there, there's plenty of red lines that, 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 that it, doesn't, it doesn't deal with as far as they're concerned. Uh, you know, and if I was a Palestinian, I could also understand how this would not have political support. But, but I do think that it, it, it sort of resets the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and says, all right, you know, there's one way of looking at the, at the conflict, which is sort of classic, 
you know, whatever Obama particularly might have thought about it, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, and then there's this other way. And and maybe uh, in time, because I'm not sure that between either of these two leaders, they're actually in a political position, either Netanyahu who's uh, got elections to fight and indictments to fight and all those kind of thing, or uh, Abbas who's, you know, 90 in the shade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know that they e- either of them have the political consensus to do anything, but... I think it sets up the, the discussion points for 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 the next generation. Mm-hmm. Is there not an irony in the security measures that the the West Bank leadership should want those security measures as much as the Israelis do? Because of if if, if Hamas, uh, Palestinian Jihad, Hezbollah, whoever fancies stuffing around in the region, shall we say, could be a real threat from a military point of view. Yeah, I mean, that I think has been the worst kept secret of, of Israeli-Palestinian relations for quite some time, that, that, the, that the, the, the security uh, relations between the PA and Israel are very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even Abbas, you know, he, he, he said this thing where we, you know, we're cutting U.S. and Israeli ties. We're not talking to them, uh, but, we're, but we're keeping the security because it keeps them in power. Um, and and it keeps a, a a sort of more moderate voice. There's a spectrum here uh, in 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 the West Bank, and it's kind of everyone's happy-ish with the status quo. So uh, I think that the, those those security measures have been important and, and favourable, and, and and ultimately keeps keeps bodies off the street, which is which is the most crucial thing. As we sort of head towards our first ad break uh, for this interview segment, um, question, the one question I want to pose to you, Benji, is. The other thing this deal does is it moves the conversation away from he said, she said to an, to an extent and basically says, how about everybody in this region prospers and becomes fabulously, um, oh, I won't say wealthy, but fabulously well off insofar as good infrastructure, um, you know, I mean, you can go down the line. I mean, if you're talking $50 billion worth of investment in a country and in a region, um, since I won't call Palestine, Palestine a country, but in a region, if you will, where people under a Palestinian authority live in really poor, squalid conditions compared to Israelis just across the way, are you not going to have that become a major motivator for someone saying, hey, guys, let's actually seek reform? Look... You know, $50 billion big carrot, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that there probably are a lot of Palestinians that would like to take advantage of that. But a- as we've seen on other issues in, in, in that area, uh, you know, this is often, uh, ideology is often very stubborn in the way of economic. I mean, even you see the Jordanian parliament just this, this week, uh, rejecting a deal which its own government had signed over of a gas, which were ten billion dollars worth of gas that would have <coughs> gone from Israel to Jordan, mm. uh, which uh, which would have brought down energy prices for the basic populace. So, uh, this is a region where economics doesn't always trump. Uh, you know, no, uh, it's not always the economy stupid. It's just the stupids that don't want the economy. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, I, I think it does. It, it shifts, but it's it's not going to be the the final the final nail. I think. Mm. All right, let's go to our first ad break, and when we come back, we'll conclude our conversation with Benji as we look at some of the more controversial elements around what exactly the Hamas types will do in response to this deal. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 
Welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, of course, with Sarah Gunn. And in studio, we have our guest, a voice that you are very familiar with on these airwaves, Benji Shulman, as we discuss the deal of the century. Now, as you've been hearing, perhaps, from my tone, I've been very excited by this deal. I do think it represents something different. I do agree with Benji's assessment, though, in terms of, no, it might not necessarily move much in the way of the Palestinian side of things, but maybe it will. And we were just having a, a chat off air now during the break, and uh, I want to bring you in on it. Um, and I was saying, you know, Benji, it does seem as though uh, the response from the Palestinian side has been slightly fractured, or if not, um, it's been hurried. Like someone wants to sort of get their voice out quickly to allay other partners in a fractured arrangement that, you know, the status quo remains. Is that not maybe a sign that, you know, a strong character might rise out and say, guys, you know what? The approach of the guns, the arms, uh, your Hamas types, your Fatah types, your blah, blah, blah. You got on the line. These guys who take up arms and say we'll destroy Israel is perhaps not working. Um, talk to me about what you think might be happening in the intra-politics of that part of the world in, in Palestine. I mean, I think the, 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 the idea of a great mythic Mandela coming out of the Middle East, uh, we might <laughs> no. still be f- some far, far away, <laughs> if that's what you're asking me. Look, I, I think that... Uh, there's still a regional spoiler here, and that's Iran, right? Yeah. So, uh, even if the Gazans are kind of, uh, I think, I mean, the, the, the opinion polls show that the Gazans themselves are sick and tired of this, uh, and their, their position has only gone backwards since they started the yes. violence. Uh, but it's still in Iran's interest to, to, to do this. But what I do think is interesting is that, uh, if you look at reports even today, the Israelis are expressing concern about, um, Islamic Jihad, mm. which is 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 uh, to the right of Hamas. In other words, even Hamas is also kind of happy to to keep the status quo. So you re- you really only have the Iranians who are driving a, a, a more violent agenda right at the second. Now you know the Palestinians have been known uh, to to. Uh, to have intifadas and all that sort of thing and, and knifings and, you know, we've seen now this, uh, appalling phenomenon of explosive soccer balls yes. being floated over the border for kids to hold. So I don't think that that kind of, of, of low level uh, warfare is going to go away, but there's a, a calibration here. No one wants to put their thumb on the scale that pushes us over into a, a major conflagration, which I think for the time being might be the best that we're going to get. Sorry? Yeah, um, uh, it's interesting you say that, that uh, jihad is sort of further to the right of Hamas. I mean, I think I think we're heading towards the cliff uh, as far as rightness goes. Yeah. Um, most interesting, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. One of the um, Middle Eastern countries that is improving relationships with Israel, um, in reference to the Palestinians, and this was quite funny, said. They they were given a deal seventy years ago. They could have had a country then. They haven't got a country now. You know. We're, we're not that interested. And I thought that was really funny because, in fact, it was the, the Arab states mm. that prevented the 70 years ago deal. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, what, what interests me is that I think we'd be seen peace before. The, the, the Palestinians have sometimes needed a partner that can actually help, mm. uh, that, that is trustworthy and can help move them and the, and the Israelis. And, and that's actually where I think that, that uh, we're missing an opportunity as South Africans, right? We, we have a strong trust with uh, multiple factions in the, Israel, uh, in the Palestinian polity, both Hamas and, and the PA. And, and I was very interested that Durko issued a reasonably muted response, mm-hmm. like normally – uh, with this kind of thing, there's a kind of hell and brimstone mm-hmm. uh, approach to the Middle East, and there was people were more relaxed mm-hmm. about it this time. And I, I just wonder whether whether South Africa is also understanding that 
that, that you know, we have a new ambassador, Lana Marks, and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the Americans are making it you know, very clear that this is the path that they want to go. And, uh, you know, America is still the fat mm-hmm. kid in the canoe here. Uh, and so, <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> so, so it, you know, it might be driving parties in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe as I, I, I contain my excitement for a moment, because I'm going to be shooting a, 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 a vlog on this particular issue. The one thing I perhaps want to have your, your, your opinion on, Benny, Benji, is someone who is uninitiated on this topic. You know, um, and I really want to view things through that person's lens because you you find that ninety five percent of people who sort of comment on this don't really know the history, don't really know um, the broader issues. But let's look at it from their perspective right now. They're thinking, but hang on, if someone came to South Africa and given our own mess, you know, uh, the poverty levels, blah blah blah, and literally says, here's fifty billion dollars on the table. I know you said there's the economic imperative in that part of the world sometimes gets trumped by ideology and the like. Surely, someone looks at this and, 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 and really says, either A, I want my quality of life as a Palestinian to be on par with that of the Israelis. Yes, I'll still hate them and I'll still, you know, uh, occasionally, you know, float a soccer ball down with a bomb or whatever the case may be. But I do want to see an improvement in, in my own lot. And on that basis, just that basis, forget the deal for a moment, but on that basis, there might be calls just on the ground with various factions saying, how about we have a change of God? You can't have a Mahmoud Abbas serving a 16-year uh, of a four-year term. Um, do you not think it, it maybe prompts that? Now, there may not be a strongman character. They won't, have, they won't have a Mandela moment. But just factions, various factions saying, you know what, maybe just a change of God is, is necessary at this point. I, I think what you might find is that some of the initiatives that sort of previously had been pushed to the side – uh, I, I, it's not going to come from the grassroots. I don't, I don't think, I don't necessarily think Palestinian society is that organized mm. to take on its own government. But what you might find is that the people on the top say, you know, we, we, we need to have working sewerage. Mm. And, and that means that maybe the Palestinian Water Authority, for example, that refuses to even talk to the Israeli Water Authority, maybe that they can have a discussion about how do we make sure that the sewerage coming out of the West Bank uh, is, is sort of properly dealt with and so that it's not making a mess in the streets mm. so that they can contain mm. the, 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 the anger on the Arab street, which is basically what if you're an autocratic Arab leader, would, you're trying to achieve. Uh, and, and so I think what you might find if, you, if you're going to make the economic argument that, that maybe there's this, this realization that we have to have some kind of incremental economic engagement in order to uh, allay – uh, a, a sort of uprising style thing, which which you're alluding to there, uh, that that would be my view. Uh, civil, you know, civil society in those parts of the world is very weak. Uh, it's 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 also got issues with dictatorial tendencies of the mm. PA itself. There's, you know, it's it's a hangstrom by bad EU funding models. There's, there's all sorts of stuff that that keeps it from really being effective. And so, uh, I, I don't think we're going to see a Palestinian spring. Uh, but but what we might see is a, a sort of a, 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 a slow melt. A late winter. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Look, I, I, I ask this, guys, because I think there are certain inherent contradictions in, in the sort of last two minutes. There are sort of inherent contradictions popping up within the various factions in, Palest- in the Palestinian um, uh, fracas. I mean, the, the, the Hamas leader, Ish- Ismail Haniya, uh, you know, just very recently says, you know what, I love the people of Gaza, I love Gaza, but... Oh, 
maybe for myself, I'm going to go live in functional and, and wonderful, um, uh, Qatar, which mm-hmm. I think is where he's moving to. Now, maybe if I was an ordinary cause and I was thinking, hang on, I don't have the ability to pack up ship, um, and, and literally move to Qatar. I have to live in this quagmire that you have created, uh, dear Hamas leader. Is that anger not maybe going to well up and cause something that maybe brings people to to accepting the deal, or maybe not this deal, but some other sort of arrangement? Well, I mean, again, I think that kind of to reiterate the point that we made earlier, yeah, Hamas yeah. is not, you know, we haven't seen Hamas firing rockets at Israel over this deal mm. or, or, or charges on the fence or anything. Why? Mm. Because Hamas understands that they have a legitimacy problem amongst the Gazan people. Mm-hmm. The Gazans might hate Israel, uh, but, but, but the second one that they hate is, is starting to become Hamas very quickly. Mm. So Hamas is not that interested in escalation. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, you know, there, there are signs that there might be certain things to try and solve some of Gaza's more, uh, big issues around water and health care. I've seen some interesting plans that are on the table. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, to the extent that Hamas can moderate, uh, you, that, that's, that's the effect, mm-hmm. right? That, 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 uh, they understand their legitimacy is on the line and therefore they, they need to, to, to get on board with something, uh, if not sort of signing anything on a piece of paper. All right, there we go. There you have it, dear listener. We've uh, just had word from Benji Shilman himself on this issue, who we'll probably have on the show quite regularly if he will have us. And uh, thank you for listening to this interview with Benji Shulman. Um, again, interesting points raised, and I think it's stuff that we need to mull over as we really do seek peace, though, for that part of the world. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. All right, on that, um, Jay's that note, um, I know you guys would have been piqued by, your interest would have been piqued by this conversation. I think for a lot of us, especially in the Jewish community, this is an issue that registers very close to home. Um, I know there's some comments, sorry, that came through. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on in the comment section? <laughs> sorry, they, they've just disappeared for a second. But it's really related to, I was discussing the mining in Darba. Yes. And specifically discussing the fact that the mining council has put out a, a really, really negative report about the uh, about the uh, about state the state of, the of mining, mining in, in, in South Africa, South Africa. Yeah. and and I didn't hold back on my feelings for Gwede. I, yeah. I think he's a poor he's, he's a poor minister, um, and so one of the other points I also raised was that he has now said two days before the mining in Darba that the mining houses don't need licenses to produce their own um, power; they can just go ahead and do it, and he sort of presented this, I thought, in a rather patronizing way. Mm. Uh, and I said, I wondered, you know, it wouldn't really be helpful to be able to, with, you know, probably supervised, put e- excess power onto the grid. Um, the Our gentleman, who will get up now, um, disagrees with us. And oh, I, yeah. thought, I thought it would be uh, worth raising it because... Um, it, 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 it's 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 an opposing view, and I think that, that's incredibly important. Sorry, we're just having problem with our links back to the uh, to the SMS line. Um, but one of the issues, one of the questions he raises, I use the word inexorable, and it, it, because that's the term um, that the mining council used to, with regard to the decline. And I meant by inexorable decline is that it, it may, may decline and, and it'll never come back again. Um, I'm going in a little bit of reverse order of his comments because I'll just deal with inexorable. Yep. He says, this is not what inexorable means. Keep a dictionary in, in the studio. This is racist nonsense. The first comment from Warren was, holy cow, where do you get your facts to form your nonsensical and super prejudiced opinions? Ignorant and basically racist. Wow. And then the third, co- just to 
uh, sort of rounded off. Um, Warren says, and you're behind the news. ESCOM has just announced the private power suppliers can feed power back into the grid. Uh, Warren, I certainly didn't know that, and thank you for letting us know. Um, but I was, in fact, only specifically referring to uh, to uh, Gwedi and and the mining industry because he dictates yeah. what 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 happens from the mining industry. Also, I'd be very cautious of suggesting that criticism of um, an individual purely based on maybe. You know, because the, the person doing the criticizing is of one race and the other one being criticized is of another race is somehow inherently racist. No. Mm-hmm. Gwede Mantashi is the Minister of Mineral Resources in this country. He is someone who is literally yours and my employee. We pay his bills, so to speak, insofar as providing, um, to the tax, uh, fiscus, which he is mandated by the constitution to dispense in various duties that, that honor, um, you know, what we need as South Africans. So on that basis, if there is criticism to be passed in this direction, it's not a race issue. It is a matter of this man has constitutional duties, which generally speaking, if you look at his track record as a minister, have been very poor um, in nature. I mean, this is the man who stood in Australia and said, oh, we found this wonderful new mineral. Yeah. Um, I forgot what its name is. Um, and the whole thing was, it was a complete hoax. Uh, so, again, that level of incompetence. And when we criticize that level of incompetence, isn't because he is black or there's an inherent racial element to it, but rather you just have an incompetent person <laughs> at the helm. And even if you're a white individual, a colored and Indian, that level of criticism would still be directed at him. So guys, let's not be sensitive on these sort of issues. Let us criticize our government officials when there is need to. And yes, you're right. When there is kudos, uh, to be, to be put forward, let's do that. Mm. Like, for example, ESCOM, uh, basically saying, let's bring on the private producers, mm. um, onto the grid. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I just have to sort of jump in there, sorry, because I wasn't here, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's these sort of things that I think sometimes holds us back as South mm. Africans from having very honest conversations and allows the nefarious types to continue the looting and the pillaging and the stealing because they know that they won't be called out for fear of someone calling them a racist. And, and if people know me and my colleagues know me and, and even listeners who've listened to us for long enough, when I'm critical... I'm critical irrespective yes. of color. I, I have, if I have a damning things to say about a white minister, whatever it is, I will say it. But it does, uh, uh, Warren definitely gives us an opportunity to raise and deal with these issues. Absolutely. And, uh, it gives us an idea perhaps of future programs. Yeah, and, and look, just as a last card from my side, guys, I, I assure you, I'm a black South African. I would not be sitting in a studio with a so-called racist if that was the case. Sarah is not, uh, in any way, uh, someone who holds any sort of prejudice, but she is, and rightly so, um, someone who can, uh, criticize when wrongdoing is being done. But let me move on from this, Sarah, as we sort of head into our last four minutes. Right. Um, what are some of the issues we're okay. going to be looking at going forward? forward? Um, it's actually difficult to tell in the sense that this week was very much, a, other than the mining in Darba, was a sort of continuation week. Of last week. Yes. Um, and of course, ESCOM is always in the news. Um, what has happened, and I think is going to become an issue, is, is finally you're getting from the business sector and the diplomatic sector a comments to the effect that Cyril has let us down. Yes. And this is terribly important because we've worried from the start that he was not going to be a man of action. Absolutely. And he's proved to be, not, be that, yes. not a man of action. Absolutely. So I think that's going to, that's going to increase as things get more desperate. No, I agree. And I think, um, on that particular basis and on that bombshell, let me say goodbye to the listeners and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the IRR show. Remember, you can find all the news, analysis and opinion on the Daily Friend website where you'll find Sarah and I in our writing. 
at dailyfriend.co.za and you'll find me, your favorite fat boy, Big Daddy Liberty, on all my social media. Just search Big Daddy Liberty or The Big Liberty Show. Guys, we'll see you next week.